Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all this morning. This is the last of the devotions that, uh, that I'm doing this week. And the whole week has been under the umbrella of the fall of Israel. So it's not really been singing and dancing and, uh, and the sort of devotions where you can joke about things. They were terrible times. And this morning is the culmination of this. The, the time when Solomon's temple was destroyed, completely destroyed. But let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, how we thank you that you are our Father. And you are the almighty God seated on your throne in heaven. All power is with you. We thank you, Father, that you are full of love. You're a God of love and a God of forgiveness. And you know who we are because you made us. You know our weaknesses as you knew David's weaknesses and as you knew Solomon's weaknesses. We thank you that you were willing to send your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die in our place on Calvary's tree, to pay the penalty for our sins, to fill us with your Holy Spirit and enable us to live our lives as you want us to live them. So we pray that as we look at this uh, passage this morning in 2 Kings chapter 25, you will teach us what you want us to know. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 597 BC, a long, long time ago, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to Jerusalem. We've heard a lot about Jerusalem in the devotions this week. But this was the point where it was to be sieged. He plundered the gold treasures of Solomon's temple and the king's palace and returned to Babylon with 10,000 captives from Jerusalem. Especially the civil and the military leaders of the nation and other skilled men who would be useful to the Babylonian Empire. The prophet Ezekiel was among them. He was carried into captivity. Only the weak and the poor remained in Judah. So to look after things while Nebuchadnezzar was back in Babylon, he appointed Zedekiah as a vassal king. He, was, uh, he had to account to Nebuchadnezzar for everything. And then he returned to Babylon. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king of Judah. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 11 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, as so many before him had done. And because of the Lord's anger, he thrust Jerusalem and Judah and the people from his presence. We read this in chapter 24, the end of chapter 24. But now as we come into chapter 25, we're at 588 BC, the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, returned to Jerusalem 
with his whole army and again laid siege to the city because Zedekiah had rebelled against him and tried to team up with the Pharaoh of Egypt against Nebuchadnezzar, but it didn't work. So Jerusalem once more was under terrible siege. We're under lockdown here, but the siege of Jerusalem was nothing, or our lockdown rather, is nothing compared with the siege of Jerusalem. They had ample fresh water in the city because you might remember King Hezekiah built a tunnel to take water into the city, which was a reason why Jerusalem could put up a fight against invaders. But after two and a half years, the food in the city ran out. Uh, the scripture is quite graphic then about what happened. The depths to which people will stoop when they run out of food. But I don't want to go into that. You can read it for yourself. Then the city was broken into which allowed Zedekiah and his men to escape through the Kidron Valley. But they were caught in the Jordan Valley south of Jericho. That's only about 20 miles from Jerusalem. The king of Babylon was at a place called Ribbelah, about 180 miles north of Jerusalem. And that's where he had a military headquarters for his invasion of Judah. Zedekiah the king of Judah was brought to Riblah and forced to watch his sons being executed. I can't even imagine, being a father of four sons, I can't even imagine what that would be like to watch your sons being executed before you. Then Zedekiah was blinded and bound with bronze fetters and taken to Babylon. And he stayed there until his death. You see what I mean when I say it's not a pretty chapter. A month later, the commander of the Babylonian Imperial Guard returned to Jerusalem. This time he had to oversee the destruction of this city. First, the most important buildings were set on fire and burned to the ground. Of course, the temple being the most preeminent. The king's palace, all the large houses, most of the houses probably. Then the army was brought in to tear down the city wall to remove its defenses. Then the temple was looted and all of the large bronze items, things that we read of in the scriptures, pillars of bronze that were huge, meters tall, the bronze sea that had been in there, been in the, uh, the, the temp, Solomon's temple, these were all too large to carry, so they were broken into pieces to enable them to be carried to Babylon. The only people who were left in the city were taken into, sorry, the, the, the people were left in the city, were taken into exile except for the weak and the poor. They were left behind, but everybody else was taken into exile. 
On Wednesday, you might remember that our devotion was about King Solomon and the dedication of the temple. This is the same temple we're talking about. You may remember that the Lord said to Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 9, if you walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprightness, as David your father did, and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne forever. Your royal throne over Israel forever. But if you or your descendants turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. This temple will become a heap of rubble. And this is what the Babylonians were doing in 586 BC. But fortunately, it's not the end of the story. The Lord required faithfulness and integrity of heart, uprightness, obedience to the Lord's commands, and everybody found that impossible to do. But the kings that followed David and Solomon and the nation failed to do this. And so Israel slid into apostasy. And that's happened with many nations around the world. We've seen it. In 20 BC, Herod the Great began to build another temple, which was completed in AD 64. This was the temple in which the Lord Jesus taught and prayed and foretold its destruction in Luke chapter 21. The Lord Jesus sacrificed himself at Calvary once to do what millions of Old Testament animal sacrifices failed to do. We read of it in Solomon's temple at the dedication. Hundreds of thousands of animals were killed. Limitless amounts of blood flowed down through the drains underneath the temple and into the Kidron Valley. Uh, it didn't achieve anything. It was symbolic. God did want the people to do it, but it was supposed to be an indication of how much they loved him and their faith in him. The Roman general Titus laid siege to Jerusalem and burned this new temple in AD 70. And the Jews were dispersed throughout the Gentile nations until 1948, when the new state of Israel was born. But we don't need a temple today, as you know, because of what the Lord Jesus has done. And I want to finish by, by bringing us up to date what the writer to the Hebrews wrote about the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. You think of how this compares to all of those millions of animals that were sacrificed in the Old Testament and didn't work. When Christ came 
as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with hands, that is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, as we've seen this week in Solomon's temple, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood. He didn't need the blood of sacrifices of animals. He shed his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, totally sinless was the Lord Jesus Christ. And he offered himself to cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God. Just as the people in the Old Testament couldn't live up to their part of, of the covenant that God made with them, they just were not able to do it with their old nature, and, and neither are we. And that's why Christ had to offer himself in this way. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. That's what we're waiting for, the promised eternal inheritance. We're not waiting for the end of the lockdown, although that may be on our minds. We're waiting for the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom, to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Just as people are destined to die once, and we're all destined to die once, as we know, and after that to face judgment, and if we've read our Bible, we know after our death comes a time of judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once, to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. That's what we're waiting for. For the Lord Jesus Christ to come again. To, to take us out of this lockdown, to take us out of this sin-ridden world, and take us into holy heaven. But what about that future in heaven? The Apostle John said, I saw no temple in it. That's in Zion, the new Jerusalem. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. We won't ever be going back to the temples of Solomon and the temples of Herod. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. That's Revelation 21. And that's the future for which we are destined. 
And that future will last forever. 